At KeyBank, we understand what you need to run a middle market company. We bring a team of strategists and problem solvers to design and deliver solutions critical to your business's success. KeyBank offers industry expertise, investment banking and capital markets, payment automation, loans and lines of credit, plus equipment financing. Connect with your local KeyBank team. Learn more at key.com slash commercial. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome to the podcast, Tokenization as a Gateway to Institutional and Enterprise Adoption of Crypto. My name is Johnny Zhang, I'm the host here, and my co-hosts, uh, Fabio and Daniela. Um, I think first of all, let's start introducing uh, of each other. You know, my name is Johnny Zhang, I'm a founder creator of USP, United States Property. I'm a, uh, USP Property uh, is a security token of tokenizing a fractional ownership of real estate in the uh, United States. Uh, Fabio. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, my name is Fabio Velarde. I'm the head of growth and partnerships of Sologenic and Corium. Um, it's Sologenic is a sophisticated ecosystem we build on the XRP ledger, uh, which basically includes a DEX, which is currently the largest DEX on that chain, and an NFT marketplace and a market index. And the new component that we're introducing this year is an asset tokenization platform that will allow users to access uh, stocks, ETFs, and commodities from top 30 exchanges. Uh, worldwide. Of course, we're launching this as a pilot program this year, and I'm excited for it. Uh, so that, yeah, that's what we do. That's very interesting. Daniela. So I'm Daniela Marbosa. I'm the general manager for blockchain and identity at the Linux Foundation. The Linux Foundation for the last 20 years has been a place where open source projects, some of the biggest open source projects, including the Linux kernel, of course, come to have developer open development and um, open source development uh, governed under the Linux Foundation. Um, I also serve as the executive director for the Hyperledger Foundation. And Hyperledger Foundation, since 2015, has been a place for enterprise to bring open source code projects and to use the code projects that we deliver our open source developer community, um, particularly around blockchain and blockchain related technologies, including a lot of work recently with digital identity. Um, today, we have 15 different projects, um, and these really range from a, a continuum of where the enterprise is going on things like tokenization, um, really understanding what enterprise needs are. So what do enterprises want when they are using a, a code project? from uh, the Hyperledger Foundation. They want something that's enterprise grade. So uh, for example, there's a project life cycles. How do you graduate a project? When do you have LTS releases? It's very important for enterprises and government institutions when they're building critical infrastructure to use open source projects as well. Um, we've really supported tokenization for many, many years um, in traditional tokenization projects and supply chain, for example. So I'd love to, to have a conversation today about what else we're seeing and how how enterprises and corporates are taking advantage of some of that institutional knowledge that they have around tokenization and putting it into some new use cases as well. well it's fascinating to hear that. Do you see a lot of um, enterprises and institutionals are actually getting into this space and trying to tokenize their assets? Um, you are in the front line, you know, maybe you can tell us more about it. 
Yeah, so like I said, for the last seven years, we've seen mm -hmm. tokenization of assets from real world assets, from a supply chain perspective, for example. Um, we, uh, and today, more and more financial services are also um, you know, using tokenization to do bank-to-bank -bank, um, uh, transfers, transfers yeah. for example. Um, and uh, we are seeing uh, real world assets. Um, I know we're gonna talk about real estate uh, in a little bit, but also art. Um, also uh, IP, so there's this amazing use case. I use this all the time when people don't know technology and they need to understand what is tokenization and why should people matter. Um, there's a project that is called IPWE um, and they're using some of the Hyperledger technologies, but it's about patents. It's about intellectual patents, and I don't know how much you know about the patent industry. You go and you get a patent, it's a long process, um, and you get a piece of paper, essentially. And what do you do with that piece of paper? In today's world, if you are an entrepreneur and you just got a patent, uh, maybe you put it on your deck, right? And you go and you present that deck to your VCs and you go try to raise money. And you raise money, but you raise money for your company. So now your VCs are now owning a part of the equity in your company, not necessarily in that IP, use that IP patent just to sell it. So IPWE is actually working and it has a platform where your patents can become a part of their platform and then be tokenized on the Casper uh, network um, and you can create liquidity on an IP. So instead of having to go raise funded from a VC, for example, I can put my patent on IPWE, um, I can tokenize it and create liquidity on it and then use that money to build my company um, and obviously the people who also purchase fractionized portions of my uh, patent can benefit from it as well. So it's changing, you know, tokenization changes how business, you know, business applications can be built and how funding, for example, uh, for smaller companies as well. So really excited about that. Yeah. Those kind of I, I really like that example because mm -hmm. in a nutshell, tokenization is bringing illiquid assets into the decentralized world uh, and just providing access like you said, fractionalized ownership is one of the, the perks that come with it. Uh, another one that I that we did mention is also uh, just instant settlements and the possibility of just transaction transacting value effortlessly and seamlessly. Yeah. Right, right. So so just to touch base on that and their, and their tokenization, uh, it, uh, things the next generation of the markets. I mean, not only I said it, the CEO of BlackRock, uh, Larry Fink also said it too, because it's just so much better than the traditional system, right? Mm -hmm. So like you said, instant settlements, 24-7 trading, and you can, you can, people can access it globally. You don't have to be, say, restricted within a, say, stock market like NASDAQ in the US. I mean, anybody in the world can trade, you know, to do the tokens actually on the on blockchain. And it doesn't matter which blockchain you're on, it can be traded globally 24 seven. It's just so much better than the traditional system. I think eventually, you know, when when when, uh, when there's more clear regulations and in place, I think we will see a lot of institutional money flowing into it. There's already are, but I think we'll see more money flowing into the case uh, and, and into space. Uh, the, the biggest reason that, I, I mean, the benefit I see tokenizing is like you said earlier, is literally making liquid asset liquid right and there, I did real estate because real estate strategy has been best, best asset to own over the long term but it's been illiquid for a long time and there, uh, of course there's a REITs out there and now you can still get access to liquidity of, of a REITs on the stock market but like I said earlier you know you can't own the restock your own wallet you can't self cast your, your own assets you have to basically buy it through a broker broker dealer which is a centralized system which we didn't like it so much after 2008 right yeah. so um yeah i definitely think that's 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 the future and of uh, of 
tokenization is definitely a future. What do you think about these um, central bank digital assets? Like, what, what do you think that's going to do with with that? Because I've I've heard like it, big banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, all are doing the beta testing on that as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So central banks are very active in uh, creating central bank digital currencies. Um, we here at the Hyperledger Foundation have actually been working with the central banks for you know the last five six years. Um, you know, the Bank of England, for example, is an associate member. They've been part of our community since. Uh, 2017, as well as the Boston Fed, uh, we just had the Central Bank of France join as an associate member. And these are all these are the technology teams at the central banks. They have technology teams. Some of them have some really great engineers, um, and they want to sit at the table as this infrastructure is being built if they're going to do implementations. And there's a lot of choices. I mean, today I think 95 of the GDP, the global you know uh, gross product. Um, Banks are doing experimentation. Some already have production implementations of CBDCs. Um, others are an experiment site. Uh, the Central Bank of Brazil, one of the biggest central banks, if you think from a, a number of uh, people that live in Brazil, uh, just announced a new project using Hyperledger Base. So it's coming. Um, there is very political discussions around central bank digital currencies. Is it needed? But ultimately, the banks, you know, the central banks have to figure out a way. How do they create digital currency um, for this new digital world that we live in, or else people will go and find alternates, uh, you know, whether it's stable coins or maybe outside of the jurisdiction that they're at. Um, the most interesting discussions in central banks that they're having around the CBDCs is how do they not just create one, but they actually, how do they build networks that is going to enable new business opportunities for the businesses in those countries and, and globally as well. Um, so I think that's, you know, people kind of forget, they go right straight to the, oh, am I going to be surveilled? Is the central bank going to let me know if I can't buy beer? You know, like, people go to that, but in reality, it's about making the frictionless, the same yes. reason that tokenization makes sense for a lot of industry, is making it frictionless for people to use uh, digital cash. Um, so there's a lot of great work happening. Um, it, it's going to be a long time. It's not going to be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely agree that adoption overall will come from institutions. So definitely what we have to do now is provide as much of a business-friendly infrastructure that provides opportunities to create new ideas well and solve new problems that will come within uh, the decentralized branch. But I do think when we talk about um, financial institutions and regulated entities, Compliance is, of course, one of the topics that arise. And uh, we also work as a layer one infrastructure. Corium is a layer one blockchain built on the Cosmos SDK. And one of the technologies that we came up with is called smart tokens, which basically allow you to uh, embed smart contracts within the tokens, which is very com- uh, friendly for, uh, for example, we build a whole blockchain in, in compliance with ISO 222. But it's also very friendly to do CVDCs or do even CRM controlling of, of these assets so you can know uh, who is operating in each time, which is counterintuitive to the whole purpose of the blockchain. But at the same time, it's how these financial institutions need to comply to adopt it. Um, so it's something definitely that uh, we're invested in and we look to provide the best tools for it. Right, so definitely, when the institutional start tokenizing everything, then we they're not so decentralized, right? They're they're all more centralized. So these blockchain technology was built because they want a decentralized way of alternative towards the traditional system. And now, actually, the institutional the traditional system, financial system, actually sees the benefit of tokenizing their system. So they actually. I think you know once they get in, then you're gonna see everything tokenized now. You know, users like us, every people have a choice of actually 
being on the centralized system, but a better, more efficient system being tokenized, or stay on the decentralized system like what we are right now. I think it's interesting to see what's going to happen in the future. But you guys heard that China already did that, right? China already have the CBDC. They already issued to their government's employee, and people are freaking out about it because they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, one of the most interesting things about China, um, you know, I won't get into the politics of it and, you know, what how they use CBDCs, right? Every central bank is going to do their, how they do their monetary policy, very different. Um, but it is the scale, the level of scale that these technologies actually can support because there's always been this, oh, you know, blockchain is never going to support large amounts of scale. But if you take a close look at, from a technical perspective, what's happening in China, it's pretty impressive. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, those are the kind of things for us, and we're a developer community, we're an open source developer community that we're mostly interested in, is how do we make these technologies scale? Um, in 2016, it was very much about permissioned distributed ledgers, and all the banks and all the big institutions were building out decentralized, you know, centralized systems, basically DLT systems, to do a lot of this, um, to reduce fr friction, to uh, increase, you know, being able to do bank-to-bank -bank transfers much easier. Um, but then, you know, there's this continuum of public versus private um, DLTs or distributed ledger frameworks, right, blockchains. Um, and today, what we're seeing and here at the Hyperledger Foundation, we've worked really hard to be able to service the different needs of the enterprise. As, for example, in 2019, we brought in a project called Hyperledger Besu, and this was a contribution by Consensus, the company with the Y, and they brought in that code base into the Hyperledger Foundation because why? They wanted to build enterprise-grade a community of developers. They wanted to make sure that it wasn't just open source. You know, I put it on a GitHub, it's open source, you can see it, isn't that great? But it was actually openly developed from an open governance perspective, and that's what we do here at the Hyperledger Foundation. And they also wanted to build that enterprise community to support it. Uh, today, Hyperledger Besu, with the merge, um, can be run as an Ethereum mainnet client. It is actually number three of the execution clients. You have Geth, Ergon, and then Besu. So you can actually use Hyperledger Besu as a mainnet client, but you can also run it as a permissioned network. So you can use the EVM and all the Solidity properties and everything that we know is great in the EVM ecosystem and build using Hyperledger based on a permission network. And I can tell you that financial services and banks and governments are very interested in this because they have the optionality. They now have basically an EVM network that maybe is a bank-to-bank -bank network or the Central Bank of Brazil is using Bezu for their central bank uh, digital currency um, um, pilots and more and on and on and on. Why? Because they're basically building that institutional knowledge of permissioned and uh, public. Um, and yeah, and I think it's, yeah, it's the way that everybody's going. Uh, and that, that's great. And I have one question. Maybe you can answer me. So, I think a lot, uh, one of the tipping point for the issue to, to to go to massive adoption is, is regulation and clarity, right? It's like so how do they stay in com uh, compliance? Right now, at least in U.S., we don't have any clarity at all. I, I think institutions are waiting for the clear regulation on this, and they're, so are they just waiting for them right now, or you see them by pushing on, on that uh, on, on having clear. Yeah, clarity on that. You know, what we see is we see them building, for example, with Bezu, and they're building networks um, that are permission networks that, once again, are um, easily, right, the optionality to when the regulations are clear um, that they can optionally you know, move into a mainnet environment or mm -hmm. you know, maybe use a layer two and a layer one um, in that way as well. Um, okay. 
Okay. But in terms of scalability, I'm just curious. Um, you guys work with a lot of you know established banks and, and just projects overall. Have you explored using other blockchains apart from Ethereum? Because from my standpoint, I, I think, for example, the Cosmos SDK uh, ecosystem has a lot of potential, not just because of TPS, not just because it might be faster, but because it's uh, more developer friendly. For example, we use Wasm smart contracts. Um, and, and yeah, overall, I just wanted to no? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So there's um, there's actually some layer one public blockchains that are focused on their public blockchains that are purposely built for enterprises, including banks, right? So you've got things like Hedera and Casper, um, and there's a bunch of others. And we have projects within the Hyperledger Foundation that touch base with Solana, uh, Polygon, uh, and on and on and on, right? Because uh, you know, people are gonna wanna make those choices. But I agree with you, there's certain, um, from a scalability perspective, some layer ones do a much better job than others. Um, and just the whole layer two and the roll-ups, you know, that's just uh, also uh, discussions our community. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the insight. I think our, our time is up. So any final thoughts? No, no. I know. I think this is great. I want to thank you, John. Yeah. For thank you for having us. Um, um, and uh, yeah, let's tokenize the world. <laughs> That's thank a good you. motto. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Grit Daily.